Today I'm going to be reading um, from John 10 and verses 11 to 21, not, not what's written on the news sheet. And we can find that on page 1667 in the Bibles. So reading from verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And good morning once again. Lovely, lovely to be with you this morning. I doubt you've ever heard of Heidi Bardar, but this week I read a little bit of her story online. In, in most ways, Heidi is just an ordinary woman. In the photo that was attached to the article that I read, she basically just looked like you or I. There was no halo around her head or anything like that. She just looked like us. And yet I think Heidi is an incredible woman. See, for years, Heidi watched her husband struggle with sickness. Speaking of her husband, she says this in the article. She says, like most husbands, he was in complete denial and not following the doctor's orders well. He continued to say, I feel fine. The reality was, though, for Heidi's husband, Scott, he was at the end stages of kidney failure. Dialysis was painful and the wait for a transplant was excruciatingly slow. Potential donors were found and then found not to be good matches. Time was getting on and Heidi was watching her husband get sicker and sicker. Until one day she just says, enough already. She says, I put my arms around Scott and informed him that I had made my appointment to be tested, meaning she had made an appointment to work out whether one of her kidneys would be suitable for him. This is what she says, being the stubborn man that he is, he began to argue with me and I simply put my finger over his mouth and said, I'm telling you, not asking you. Let's get this done already. And Heidi knew the risks that were associated with what she was about to do. Yet she cared for her husband. She loved him. She wanted to be with him. She wanted to hear his voice go on for years. She loved him enough that she would risk surgery and the rest of her life with only one kidney. 
And as I read about Heidi's story this week, I was kind of wondering how much, how much would she be willing to give up for her husband? Because a kidney is a pretty big thing. And the question at the back of that was why? Why would Heidi do this? Why would anyone possibly do something like that? And we all know the answer really, don't we? She cares for her husband. She cares for him deeply, profoundly. You might even go as far as to say that she cares for her husband more than she cares for herself. Certainly, she's willing to give up a pretty important part of herself for the sake of her husband. And I think in many ways, Heidi's story is remarkable. But it's not a unique story. In 2017 in Australia, there were nearly 300 live kidney donations in Australia. 300 people a year willing to give up part of their body because they care. You might be wondering this morning, now what does kidney transplants have anything to do with Jesus? Because we're here today to talk about Jesus, not so much to talk about kidneys. That's a good thing because I know very little about them. But here's the connection. Today we see Jesus demonstrating the lengths that he is willing to go for us. He's willing to give up not just a kidney, but his life. And he does it because he cares for us. Over the last few weeks as a church, we've been looking at the ways in which Jesus describes himself. We've been learning about his identity. We've seen Jesus describe himself as the bread of life, as the light of the world. And this week we see Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Lays down his life for the sheep. It's a bit of a contrast, I think, to last week. Last week we saw these words, Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am. Last week it was a a big, bold, brassy, weighty claim from Jesus, a, a claim of his divinity, a claim about being eternal. It was a throwback to Moses and the burning bush and God there naming himself, I am. When Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he was helping us to see how big he is. Helping us to see his size and his power and his eternal nature. Last week I asked you to stretch your vision of who Jesus was. To make sure that you had a mental picture that was large enough, big enough. To see Jesus as eternal. And then this week we see another side to Jesus. It's a bit like a coin being flipped over. A different picture, but the same person. This week we see Jesus as compassionate and caring and laying down his life for those who are entrusted to his care. And he does it out of love. He lays his life down of his own accord. But it's done in line with his Father's will. That's the big idea that I'd love you to see from John chapter 10. Good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, we've been skipping around a little bit in these middle chapters of John's Gospel over the last couple of weeks, and I apologize if that's not been particularly helpful for you. This week, we're in chapter 10. If you haven't quite got your head around that, we're in chapter 10. If you were here two weeks ago, you might remember us looking at chapter 9 and the man who was born blind. In chapter 9, we'd been considering this statement of Jesus where he says, I am the light of the world. 
And in that chapter, we saw what that means with Jesus opening the eyes of a man who was born blind. A man who from birth had had known nothing but darkness and Jesus opens his eyes and with open eyes, the man was able to see who Jesus was, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Saviour. And yet, Israel's religious leaders, the Pharisees, those who are supposed to be the shepherds of Israel, their response to seeing a man who was healed is kind of to mock him and to disregard his testimony and to throw him out of their gathering. And so John, the writer of these words, John, the gospel writer, shows us that it's the leaders, the shepherds, who are actually blind. That's the context of chapter 10. You'll find it on page 1,667. Yeah, 67. And it begins with Jesus not speaking to the crowds, not speaking to the Jews, they who have been speaking to in the previous chapters, but now speaking directly to the Pharisees, directly to Israel's supposed shepherds. Now, to understand this passage, we need to realise that farming practices today have changed since John wrote the Gospel. I think most of us know what a shepherd is. We've got that kind of picture in our heads pretty clearly. But farming's changed as well. Back in Palestine, there were no kind of fences and sheep, therefore, couldn't be left on their own. At night time, the, the sheep had to be find shelter somewhere and so the shepherd's job was to bring those sheep and shelter them in a pen. The pen was probably connected to the back of the shepherd's house. And then in daytime, the shepherd led the sheep out into the pastures so that they could go and eat. It was all repeated again the next day. There's no such thing as fence paddocks where sheep could pretty much do what they wanted on their own. See, unlike today, the sheep back in John's time couldn't exist apart from the shepherd. Now, you might have come across this idea of sheep and shepherd in the Bible before. In fact, it's very common in the Bible. Think about Samuel and King David. Where was David when Samuel went to anoint him as the new king? He was out tending the sheep, working as a shepherd. And where was David's training for the battle with Goliath? Where did that training come from? Well, it came from tending the sheep, protecting them from lions and bears. It doesn't say this, but perhaps wolves as well. Now I'm going to leave you uh, to read through verses 1 to 10 of John chapter 10 at your own time sometime this week. They're great verses that paint more of the picture of what Jesus is like. In fact, in verses 1 to 10, we read another of these I am sayings of Jesus. There Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. I want to leave those verses because today I really want to focus our time on verses 11 to 21 of chapter 10. I'd love you to follow along with me from verse 11. This is how it starts. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Remember last week's claim was lofty. Before Abraham was, I am. Here we have a very different sort of claim, don't we? This is personal and comforting. Kind of paternal. Jesus is claiming to be a shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. I think these verses are supposed to be comforting. You might not like being thought of as a sheep, but it's just an analogy, right? Try and get around that. 
And at the end of the day, you've probably been called worse things before than a sheep. The leaders of Israel, they are called to be shepherds in many places in the Old Testament. The leaders are called to be shepherds. And to get our heads around this, I want you to come back with me to Ezekiel. We could go to lots of different passages to see where the leaders of Israel are called to be shepherds, but I think Ezekiel chapter 34 is a really great place for us to go to see this. You'll find that on page 1,345 of your Bibles. It's worth turning back to Ezekiel to have a look at this, 1,345. Let me read to you from Ezekiel 34 verse 1. I want you to see what Ezekiel thinks of Israel's shepherds. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. They were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. In the time that Ezekiel wrote, Israel was in exile or going into exile. They'd been defeated by Babylon. They'd been crushed as a nation. And that was because leader after leader had led Israel away from God, away from his ways. Instead of looking after the people and caring for them and nurturing them, they'd be more concerned with their own profit, their security, their income, their food and privilege. And so Ezekiel says, the sheep... The people of Israel are scattered. Without a shepherd to lead them, the people were lost. It's a sad spot for Israel to be. But in Ezekiel, there's hope on view in the next few verses as well. Great hope. For Ezekiel tells of a time when God himself will shepherd his people. When God will care for them tenderly and will gather them from the far-flung places and rescue them. And we see this in Ezekiel 34. Let me read on from verse 11. So we're skipping a few verses ahead. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. See, this is supposed to be the hope. These words are supposed to be encouraging. God himself will take on the role of the shepherd. And his concern will be for the lost people. Unlike Israel's shepherds, who just wanted to feed their own bellies, God will rescue and gather and care for the lost sheep. If you've got got Ezekiel open, look down at the text and see how the passage goes on. God, time and time again, saying, I will look after the sheep. Israel's shepherds did a poor job. God promised one day he would look after his people. And I think that's the kind of Old Testament background or backdrop for John chapter 10. 
God promising a day that one day he himself would shepherd his people. And with that background then, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And you might wonder, in what ways is he good? What does it mean to be a good shepherd? Well, with the background of Ezekiel under our belts, a good shepherd is one who really cares for the flock. A good shepherd is one who's not just interested in filling their own bellies, but wants the sheep to be satisfied too. But in John chapter 10, what makes the shepherd good is that he lays down his life for the sheep. And to kind of illustrate what this means, Jesus goes on in verse 12 and 13 to illustrate how a good shepherd behaves in contrast to the hired help, a paid worker. Let me read to you these verses now back in John chapter 10 verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd, says Jesus, and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I think it's a pretty simple story, right? We all understand what's going on here. But I think as Australians, what we might miss is the ferocity of wolves. I spent the summer with extended family and some extended family friends. And one of those friends was a man by the name of Bill. Bill lives normally in Wisconsin. I've not been there before, but that's in the U.S., And I don't quite know how we got onto the topic of it, but one day we were talking about mountain lions. He said, I've never actually seen a mountain lion in all my life. Seen bears, he said, lots of bears. But he said, I'm not scared of mountain lions or bears. What really scares me is wolves. I don't like wolves, he said. They hunt in packs. They're terrifying. If there are wolves around, I'm out of there. That's what Bill said. Jesus says, in the case of a hired hand, when the wolf comes, the hired hand abandons the sheep and runs away. Why? They're terrified. And you can't really blame them. This week I read um, that it says in the Mishnah, which is the oral tradition of the Jews, a book that's written about their oral traditions, it says this, if you're a hired hand, you should stay with the sheep if one wolf attacks, but if two come, get out of there. It's too dangerous. It's because wolves are terrifying and dangerous. And the hired hand runs because the level of fear they have is greater than the level of care they have for the sheep. Fear's here, care for the sheep is down here. And so they take off. Here's the question I want you to think through. Are shepherds scared of wolves? Now, I'm not here asking, is Jesus scared of wolves? That's a different question. I'm asking, are normal earthly shepherds scared of wolves? What do you think? I think they probably are a little bit. I'm not a shepherd, but I imagine if there was lots of wolves around, even if you're an experienced shepherd, it's a little bit scary. So why does a shepherd stay with the sheep when the hired hand runs? Well, it's not really because of the fear, right? They're both scared. Rather, the reason why the shepherd stays is because the shepherd has far greater concern for the sheep than the hired hand. Let me put it this way, perhaps in a way that we understand more readily. Imagine you're down at Brighton one afternoon in the middle of winter. It's windy and cold 
strong wind blowing, but you want to kind of get out a little bit, so you rug up and you go for a walk along the jetty. As you look down, the sea below you is menacing and grey and foamy. There's no way you're going for a swim on a day like that. And so you walk in the middle of the jetty, careful not to trip over and fall into the sea. Even if jetty jumping were legal, it's not the day you want to do it. No way you're going in the water. But now imagine that you're walking along with your three-year-old daughter and they, she trips and falls into the water below. What do you do? Well, my guess is that it doesn't matter how cold and how windy and how menacing the sea looks. If your child's fallen into the water, you're in the water too, probably without even taking your phone out of your pocket. That's how much you care. Because parents care for their children. It doesn't matter what the cost might be. A phone that doesn't work, you being cold and wet, maybe bumping your head on the way down. The danger in comparison to the love means that you jump into the water. Here's what Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. What makes him good? He lays down his life for the sheep. Why? Because he cares for the sheep deeply. Jesus goes on to say that he knows his sheep and that his sheep know him. We kind of heard that in the kids' talk this morning. In the section earlier, the bit that I've encouraged you to read this week, He says, the sheep know the shepherd's voice and they follow after his voice. And here, John equates the way in which God the Father knows, God the Son knows the Father and the Father knows the Son. And this morning, I hope you are able to draw great encouragement from that. Now, I know none of us probably like being referred to as sheep. We are much more individual, much more nuanced than a flock of sheep and few of us are woolly around the edges but remember it's just an analogy right and the analogy helps us to see that the good shepherd knows you the good shepherd cares for you the good shepherd cares so much for you that he's willing to lay down his life for you Did you think about how it fits with us today he's not only willing to do that but the good shepherd has already done that Jesus went to the cross of his own accord, it says in this passage, to die for us so that we might know life and have it to the full. The good shepherd, Jesus, has protected us from the greatest threat of all, death and eternity separated from God. He's defeated evil, the real wolf, so that we can be sure and secure and confident of our salvation. And he's done this because he cares for you. He's done this because he loves you. Not because we deserve it. Because he cares for us. Today you might need to hear these words. That the great I am, the eternal God, the Alpha and Omega. Remember that's the other side of the coin. That's what Jesus is. Despite all of that greatness and majesty and power, he cares for you. I want to encourage you in this today. I want you to know it in your head, but I also want you to feel it in your hearts. Because if he cares for us, that means that we can bring our concerns and our worries and our cares to him. Even when there are wolves around, the good shepherd will stick with you. Our world today is full of things that might cause us stress. I know this as much as you do. I need to hear this as much as you do. But we can roll our concerns onto God knowing he's a good shepherd 
John Piper, some of you might have heard of him, he's an American pastor and he's a writer of Christian books. He once spoke about a man who was under immense pressure as the director of an orphanage that looked after thousands of orphans. And yet that director was known to be calm in the midst of what might have otherwise been chaos. And when he was asked, how do you go about staying so calm in the midst of all this chaos? He says, well, this morning I rolled 60 things onto the Lord. That's just this morning. Roll your concerns onto the Lord. See, that orphanage director, one by one, took the burdens off his shoulders and placed them into the lap of the Good Shepherd. We can roll our concerns onto God because he's a good shepherd. I think that's the response of our hearts to John chapter 10. See, we have a God who Isaiah tells us tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Or as Proverbs puts it, our God is a God whom we can run to his strong tower of protection. Or as Exodus puts it, our God is a God who will fight for us. He's a good shepherd who cares for the sheep. My encouragement today then is to bring your concerns to him. I hope that's an encouragement for you as you kind of navigate way through this difficult life. Over the last three weeks, we've been looking at these sayings, these I am sayings, and I've been at pain each of these weeks to show you the connection between the Father and the Son as we've been looking at these sayings. Did you notice again that connection is on view in this passage. Here we see the love the Father has for the Son, love that finds its root in the willingness for the the Son to lay down his life. And yet we see the control that Jesus has in the laying down of his own life. No one takes his life from me, he says. Easter's just around the corner. It's one of my favourite times in the year. I'm looking forward to the Easter egg hunt that we're having this year for Radiate. I also like Easter because it's a terrific time of reliving the story of Jesus laying down his own life only to take it up again. And here we see in this passage, no one takes it from him. He lays it down of his own accord. It's not taken by the angry mob. It's not taken by Pilate or by the soldier with the spear. He, Jesus, lays his life down of his own accord. He has authority to do that and authority to take it up again. And yet, although it's Under Jesus' authority, it's also the command of the Father. See, they're not acting in isolation, but independence. They work together. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He's good because he lays his life down for the sheep. And if you remember the story about Heidi Bardo, I told you about her right at the start. She's willing to give up part of herself for the sake of her husband. It's not really because he deserved it. He may have, but it's not really because he did. She was willing to give up her kidney because she cared for her husband, because she loved him, because she wanted to spend more time with him, to live with him, to be with him and to hear his voice. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Lay down my life for the sheep. But the Jews who are listening to Jesus in John chapter 10, even hearing those words, they're still divided. They say, why listen to him? Kind of ironic, isn't it, that say? Why listen to him? The sheep know the shepherd's voice. And they follow after him. 
Those who don't know the shepherd's voice, they think he's raving mad. And yet they all have this to contend with, this reality to deal with. He healed a blind man. There's the evidence in plain sight. He's the one who's taken darkness and made it light. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen John show us who Jesus is. We've seen him show us that he's powerful and eternal. And yet this week we see he's caring and also personable. And there's a question I think that resonates throughout this chapter. It's this. Will you listen to his voice? Will you follow after the good shepherd? Let me pray for us. Almighty God, loving shepherd, we thank you that you care for us. Thank you for your son Jesus who is the great I am and yet is also willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Father, we pray that you would help us through your spirit to listen to your voice and to follow after you and to live a life that's pleasing to you and that brings you glory. Amen. Uh, Thank you for texting in a question. If you uh, want to ask me questions, one great way to do that is to use the text line, uh, which is sometimes slow for me to open my phone. Uh, I've got a question that says this. Jesus tells Peter in John 21 to feed his sheep three times. Jesus warns in Matthew 7 that there will be false prophets dressed in sheep's clothing. How does Peter feed Christ's sheep? How are the sheep today protected, especially if false prophets are not easily recognised? Well, I want to just share with you just a little bit about how Peter feeds the sheep. Um, Peter has a big role to play in the opening opening chapters of the book of Acts. Um, Let me just read you a little bit from chapter 4 of Acts. Uh, This is when he's called before the Sanhedrin to uh, give account for the man who was healed. Peter says this, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's Peter's response. I think that's Peter feeding the sheep. He's pointing people to who Jesus is. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. I think 2 Timothy that we looked at as a church uh, sometime last year helps remind us that in the presence of false teachers we need to know the gospel, that Jesus is the one who died for us and that we need to hold on to that in the face of false teachers who come, as it says in 2 Timothy, being lovers of money and boastful and proud and abusive. That's kind of what was happening back in Ezekiel's day. How do we counter that? Well, we know what the gospel is. We know what it calls us to do, to follow after Jesus and to live like him. And so we hold up the truth of the gospel against what others teach. And I hope you do that here here on Sunday mornings, that you hold up the Bibles, that you look to see what it says in the Bibles and you listen to that 
and read that against what's being said from the front here, that you weigh and evaluate that. I think that's what we do. We use scripture and we trust in the gospel and we hold that as central. I hope that's helpful. Uh, please come and see me after for the other questions.